Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. Uh, all right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with AJ Weinzettel. We're at Hazelfern Cellars in Newburgh. It's November 3rd, 2021. AJ, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Uh, first question, as you know, biggest question, why wine? It's, uh, you know, I've, I've heard you ask this question so many times. And so you try your best to prep for it. And I've, I've been postulating this for, you know, a couple of weeks now. Um, and really, when I think about wine, it's... Um, there's so many different facets to wine. Growing up in, in Tennessee, you know, I wasn't introduced to wine and uh, um, I really wasn't, didn't even know anything about wine until I moved out to Oregon 20 years ago. And when I came out here, it was, you know, try Pinot, try Pinot. And I'm like, eh, I don't like Pinot. Right, so my really like first bottle of wine that I uh, really enjoyed was a uh, Riesling from Willamette Valley Vineyards, and you know it was a nice sweet you know wine you know kind of gets you in into it, mm-hmm. you know, and just over time you start you know developing more of a palate and you uh, start just going deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. Uh, and so there's that aspect of it, but then you know like the, the last twenty eight years I've been in tech. And there's so I have this geekery side of me that is just you know I love going down rabbit holes and all the you know the geek side of of life, and with the I find that same fascination you know with wine right you just keep going down the rabbit hole and going down the rabbit hole, you know, um, and ultimately I've come to this uh, this conclusion that wine is really a, a juxtaposition between creativity and science. And it's a lot of like the people that's behind wine as well, right? So you have the, the vineyard workers that, you know, make, do everything that they can to work with the winemaker to bring out the terroir and do the cover crop and, you know, create the good canopy, you know, for the, you know, for the grapes. And then the winemaker, you know, is able to do a lot of magic. So you get a, it's bringing that all together, but really that's kind of like a, a big umbrella of kind of what wine is. I mean, yes, wine is a social, you know, glue for a lot of us, but really to me, it is like the stories and the people behind the wine, right? I can't, well, if I go to new seasons and I see an apple, I don't really know anything how that apple got to new seasons, but I can, can I go to the wine shelf? and see uh, a Bergstrom or Lingua Franca on the shelf and know the people behind those labels, I do, right? And there's nothing else, you know, that you can really get at the grocery store where you know the actual people behind what you're consuming. And to me, it's, it's, that's, that's why wine is the people behind, behind the label. Excellent answer. I love that. I mean, I think it's the same thing for, for us as well, right? That's what we're right. that's what we're here for. So you mentioned uh, you, you come from Tennessee, not not originally from Oregon. Tell me about your uh, bringing upbringing a little bit, education, and, and what did bring you out to Oregon? Um, you know, so I was out in North Carolina for a little bit, mm-hmm. and I'll I'll never forget the uh, my first day of school. Right, uh, it was fourth grade, and uh, my school teacher, you know, asked me something, and I just gave her this bewildered look. Because I had never been introduced to like the the southern accent very much, and and you know after about thirty minutes later, I figured out that she was like, "Can you help pass out the pink dictionaries?" And I'm like, "What?" I mean, it was just such a, a southern slang and accent. I'm like, "Gah." So we were in North Carolina for a little bit, um, and then uh, my parents got transferred to, to Tennessee. And really, if I was to call Tennessee home, or if I was to call any place home, it would be Tennessee, right? It's uh, uh, just kind of where you grew up, you know, middle school through high school. That's kind of where you resonate with everything. Um, 
outside of uh, right out of high school, you know, two weeks later, I was uh, joined the Air Force, and uh, I got the ability to go to Kuwait and Saudi Arabia and Egypt, doing a, a bunch of uh, communication stuff, setting up telephone switches out in the middle of the desert. You know, got to see the Sphinx and the pyramids. I mean, it was amazing, right? But here I am, I'm this this 20-year-old kid, you know, seeing all these pyramids and everything. And it's just like, you just, uh, at 20, you just can't appreciate how amazing those pyramids are. And so on my bucket list is, you know, I, I have to go back. Uh, you know, but I, I was stationed in Georgia, so I was still kind of in the South. And I, I had... Even at the like at the end of high school, I begged my parents for a computer. I'm like, I want a computer. I want a computer. No, they cost too much. No, they cost too much. So the, the minute that I could afford a computer myself, I went out and bought a, a 4633 Packard Bell with four megs of RAM, right? And it had a 2400 baud modem, and I thought I was the the cat's meow, right? It was so fun to to explore the world of computing, you know, and about that time, the internet was just kind of coming about, you know, I got my little, uh, for the longest time, I would actually collect the uh, AOL CDs that you'd get from the magazines. Uh, but yeah, I was on AOL for a while, and just, uh, there were so many rabbit holes to go down, and I explored it. Coming out of the Air Force, you know, I got a, you know, a job in tech, uh, eventually, I got a job back up in Tennessee working for uh, uh, Little Debbie, you know, so like the Little Debbie Snack Cakes. Um, you know, I'll never forget being able to go up into the lunchroom and just get whatever Little <laughs> Debbie Snack I wanted, right? It was amazing. It was great. Uh, you know, I don't... I might get a Swiss roll every now and then, right? You know, put them in the freezer and then, oh, they're so good when they come out of the freezer. Uh, but I still had like this urge inside of me, right? Tech was in California. And uh, at the time, my job was a Novell Netware, um, Network Administrator. And so Novell had a, uh, a tech conference in Salt Lake City. And that is where I met my ex-wife. And she lived out here in, in Sherwood. Uh, for like six months, we did the whole back and forth, uh, long distance relationship. Uh, and eventually, after six months, I sold my house in Tennessee and moved up here to Oregon. It's, uh, it's been a fascinating journey. I love it up here in Oregon, even though it rains so much. But what I really appreciated about Oregon, you know, anybody that reads my newsletters, right? I'm, I am always on my back deck working as much as I can, being outside as, I, as much as I can during the summer because the summers here in Oregon are just phenomenal, right? You compare that with Tennessee, you know, the first part of May, you start turning on your AC and you just don't come out of the house. It's so hot, it's so humid, and just the, the ideal of being outside is the polar opposite of what you uh, um, see here in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your first impressions of, of Oregon. Obviously, coming from the South, having seen other parts of the world, but never having been in the West or the Northwest. Right. What were your first impressions of the area and of the state? Oh, I got really lucky. My first visit out here to Oregon was in May of um, 2001. Uh, it was gorgeous, right? Uh, but uh, we spent a few days at the coast, and I did come prepared. Right, it was windy, but the sun was out. But I was like, <laughs> I was just freezing. Uh, but it was it was phenomenal. It was great. Um, you know, got to visit a couple hot springs and just the beauty and the nature of everything. I I just instantly fell in love. You talked earlier about no no real wine background before Oregon, and then sort of all of a sudden having kind of wine sort of thrust upon you when you, when you got here. So tell me about the process of of discovering wine for you. You mentioned the first sweet riesling you had. Right. What was what was it about wine that made you want to keep trying it, even if you, your initial impressions were were not so, or your initial thought were, was not so strong? Right. I think initially, you know, it, it's uh, it was peer pressure, right? 
you go to family events and everybody's drinking wine and uh, you want to be able to participate you want to be able to bring wine to the table you want to be able to have somewhat of a take in the conversation uh, I remember um, one Thanksgiving going to uh, to Whole Foods you know and talking to the wine person there and I think I ended up getting a, a Pinfolds uh, Shiraz and ended up just enjoying the heck out of that out of that label and I was on a, a Shiraz kick for a long time and then I started branching out a little bit more and like well what's that and then what's that um, but really what kind of just blew my mind was uh, a group of friends we went uh, wine tasting on a, on a wine bus one of the the stops was a uh, a members event in the cave at Domain Serene and they were doing a, uh, a barrel sampling of their I think it was the 2013 Florida Lee and my mind was blown it was just, it was, it was nothing I had ever tasted before. And that, you know, everybody has like their epiphany wine, you know, definitely the, the Riesling wasn't my epiphany wine and the Shiraz was kind of epiphany, but that barrel sampling, that was, that was it for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just, it was kind of a slippery slope after that. Mm -hmm. I, um. Uh, became a Domain Serene member. I'm, st I'm still a member. You know, I've been a member now for like eight years. Um, and just to see the transition of where Domain Serene was eight years mm -hmm. ago and to see where they are now and to see where they're going. Again, it's that whole story. It's the whole people, right? I mean, yes, Domain Serene is a, is a brand that people kind of... Um, can, can talk negatively about, right? Because they are big and they're glamorous, right? And they have a fountain in front of their winery, right? But getting down to the core, their wines are spectacular. The people that are at Domain Serene, they're just phenomenal, right? And again, it's the people that I, that I really appreciate. Oh. Uh, and after a while, you know, I, I explored everything at Domain Serene and I was like, I need to take my Domain Serene rosé glasses off and explore. And that's what I've been doing mm -hmm. is just exploring and seeing everything that's out here. Um, you know, so you have the polar opposite of a Domain Serene where you're out like, uh, like Arlen. Right, you go out to Arlen, you sit in the middle of the vineyard, not in the middle of the vineyard, but you're in the vineyard. There's peace, there's quiet. You're able to sit and have a one-on-one -on -one talk with Janice. You know, you get, you know, her, her dogs that come up and talk, you know, and pet. And it's, it's, um, it's not Southern hospitality, but you get that down Southern homey feeling. And that really resonates with me. When it came to learning about wine, uh, both sort of the, the taste and, and flavors of wine, but also sort of the, the rest of the things you have to learn about wine, the, the, the words and the varietals and the, all those kinds of things, what was the, what, what was the most, what, what kind of strategies did you use to, to learn about it and, and what did you find worked the best for you um, in terms of sort of educating yourself along the way? Um, so, Again, a clear example that I remember, well, one example, and there's several other things, but I, uh, I was talking with uh, Andrew at uh, Audeant, and he was talking about, you know, using like a loose grain barrel, you know, for, you know, his Luminous Hills uh, Pinot, and, oh, no, 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 it wasn't the Luminous Hills, my apologies, it was the, um, their Seven Springs Shard. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, why is it loose grain compared to tight grain? And, you know, he started talking about the, uh, there, cause there's, to me, there's like this wild aspect to that Seven Springs Shard. And he's like, it just, it, it just kind of coalesces and melds together a little bit better, right? So then a couple weeks later, I'm here at Hazelfern and I'm talking with Brian about loose grain and tight grain barrels. 
Uh, and he's like, oh yeah, I got another, you know, I got a loose grain. And I'm like, oh, can I see it? And he's like, yeah. You know, so he's showing me, you know, the differences between the barrels. You know, so to kind of answer your question, it was, it was when I'm visiting wineries, I'm asking a bunch of questions and I'm learning about different aspects of it. Um, so it's kind of on the job experience, one part, right? And it's not really on the job because it's, it's not a job, but uh, it's just hands-on education. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember having a conversation with one person a while back, you know, he's like, oh yeah, we picked our Pinot grades at 16 bricks. And I'm like, I wasn't confident enough in myself at that point to, to call him out. But then I started doing some research and I'm like, what? And so I, then I, I you know, came back around and I'm like, really, 16 bricks? And he's like, I didn't say that, did I? I'm like, yeah, you did. And he's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you just start kind of hearing things and learning things, you know, in that regard. But then, you know, also, you know, I've done, you know, I did my WSET level two, which you learn a lot of things inside of that as well, right? You learn, you know, the different regions and, and just so much. And another example this year, right? You know, with the, the heat dome that happened over the summer, right? You hear a lot of, um, a lot of wineries that said that they have west facing slopes, you know, really took a toll on the grapes, mm-hmm. you know, if they didn't have enough canopy. And, you know, then you start thinking about it. It's like, oh, yeah, the hot, hot part of the day, you know, you have the sun. And it's like, that totally makes sense, right? So you just start hearing more and more information. And you just kind of just dive into the deep end of the pool. And you just consume as much information as you can. So not every industry would be so welcoming to someone who held these questions. So tell me about the reception you've had as a, as a consumer and, and, and a consumer of, of information. I think that kind of speaks to the, uh, the Oregon wine community within itself. I mean, everybody helps one another out all the time. Uh, and that's kind of, the, the, to me, the spirit of the Oregon wine community. Uh, it's easy enough you know, just to go to a, a tasting and, you know, everybody will say, um, like if you go to Alexana, you know, easily they say we have 22,000 th- different soil types out in our backyard. And yes, I'm exaggerating, but it's like, you know, 12 or 21 different types of soil. And they start talking about that soil and they start talking about the clones. So you already kind of have this education kind of geekery. Mm-hmm. And so you just kind of take that in and you just kind of ask more questions and everybody is more than happy to answer any question that you have. Uh, and then when, uh, when people know that you're coming out, you know, and, you know, in my case, you know, kind of writing about the winery, you know, they'll, they'll kind of go above and beyond to answer any, any questions that you, that you have to, uh, that, that you have. I'm glad you brought that up. The next question is about the idea to write. So tell me at what point you went from being consumer interested educator or education to I'm going to write about this as well. What, what, what made you want to write about your experiences? Oh, when I took my uh, rosé glasses off and wanting to explore, I started to kind of, I tried to find resources on where to go. And I couldn't really find resources. Uh, and everybody is, is on a journey of some sort, you know, in, they're on a trek within their, their wine journey. And really what I wanted to do was help other people out there and talk about my wine journey, right? I mean, I can't be alone and there's so much to learn and it's, it's overwhelming with choices and like, I don't know where to go. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. So when you decided to start writing, tell me about, was it, did, you have, did you have a background in writing? Was, was this something new to you? Uh, I will say when I first started, I sucked at writing. I just sucked. Uh, and I still suck. <laughs> I mean, I just do. 
but it, it's gotten better over time. I think everybody that has read my, my newsletter is like, I, 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 I won't forget one time I was uh, doing a shout out uh, for Audient and you know their wines and I got an email back from Till Walker and she was saying, you misspelled her name. I'm like, God, die! <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, and I profusely, you know, apologized and tried to make it better. Uh, but really what got me into writing was I was trying to find another creative outlet and trying to uh, just convey my appreciation for the Oregon wine country trying to um, just share my story, right? Because all through my life, I've been a sucker for memoirs. Give me a memoir, I will just, I will suck it down, right? You know, like a Jim Morrison memoir, a Dave Grohl memoir, Michael J. Fox, you name it, you know, Slash from Guns N' Roses. I mean, all over the board. And that's really kind of been my inspiration. You know, ultimately I would love to do a memoir myself but I have no idea what that even looks like right now. I just finished a memoir from uh, uh, Stanley Tucci, you know, and it's a food memoir. And it was freaking amazing, right? I'm just salivating reading the <laughs> recipes and the stories behind the recipes. I'm like, oh, maybe I need to do a wine memoir. How would I do that? I don't know. So, I mean, it's, there, there's, there's a story or a book or a memoir or something that's, that's in me that will come out eventually. I have no idea when. It might be 20 years down the road. I, I, I don't know. So when, you, when you're out, when you're writing now, are you seeking out specific things to write about or are you just sort of writing about whatever comes across your plate? Uh, right now I have like a huge backlog of places that I want to visit. And I, you know, I've, I've made notes of like, this is why I want to visit because you just totally forget. Uh, but really it's it's seeking out the the stories uh, like I just within the last few months I came across a championship bottle mm -hmm. right and that was because I saw an Instagram post from Dan and Jean at Corollary that they you know were over at you know her parents house and there was a bottle of championship and I'm like I've never seen that so I signed up for their newsletter and uh, I got some of their uh, 2019s, I think it's a shard. And then uh, a couple of days later, they're like, thank you, we're sold out. <laughs> and so with that, I like, I, I want to go out and talk to them and be like, how did you sell out so quickly? Right, what is, you know, I'm, I'm just, it's, it's more of a, of a curiosity to get to know, to get to know the people behind the label what was, you know, maybe they only did 60 cases, right? And they have a small little cult following or something. I, I don't know, but it's, it's those little intriguing tidbits that really want me to get out and uh, share those stories. Because I think that would be a fascinating story to sell, to, not to sell, to share. Mm -hmm. um, how they sold out so quick. So... When you're looking at stories like that and looking at places to visit, what, what do you find most appealing for yourself and, and what do you find gets the most sort of feedback from people who are following you? What, what types of stories or what types of things do you write about? Right. Uh, first, I'll start off with the feedback. I, don't, I get like next to no feedback. <laughs> and it, you know, I, uh, I did a, a couple weeks ago, I, I did like a 3,000 word newsletter. You know, I was expecting something silence you know so I mean people are still opening the newsletter uh, you know I have almost 1600 subscribers um, you know I get a 45 to 50 percent open rate people are reading the newsletter people are clicking on links you know so that's really the only feedback that I get um, so that that's kind of tough of like what what do I write about I so, so I write about stuff that's interesting to me. Uh, you know, I, I thoroughly, uh, it's, it's so much fun to go out onto the, uh, onto the internet and just do research because everybody's pretty much been interviewed all over the place, right? And to find little tidbits here and there is, uh, is, is great. I listened to uh, Drinking on the Job podcast 
And they recently did a uh, an interview with uh, Chris and Catherine from Double Zero. Uh, and John, the interviewer, you know, at one point told Chris, he's like, and you've got to still tell the, the, the story of when uh, uh, Pierre and the, and the contract, you know, for, for Double Zero, you got to tell that story. And it made me wonder, I'm like, did John get that little piece of information from my newsletter to bring into his podcast? Or did he research and find it? I, you know, I, I don't know. I should have, I should have asked John, but it is, it is those little tidbits that people, um, won't forget and anything to bring the wine and people closer together is really, is, is really my purpose. Um, uh, you know, I think in the early days, you know, you had Robert Parker out there doing, you know, with all the scores. You have James Suckling doing all the scores. And, you know, it's, it's highly debatable to say, well, no, we're not definitely not on a 100-point on system. It, that's impossible. You could say that it's maybe a 10 or 12-point system, right? Anything like under an 88 doesn't even really get mentioned. And... You know, so really, it's like maybe ninety to to one hundred, right? And then very rarely are there any one hundreds, and a majority of everybody kind of falls within a ninety-one to ninety-four points. And to really judge a wine by three points, that that, that that's that's like splitting hairs. So I I know that the scores sell. But really, I want I want that that relationship between the consumer and the people behind the label, because when you drink, a, just for example, if you was to open up a bottle of their Double uh, Zeros Corton Charlemagne, right? Pierre had a heavy hand in that, and then thinking about the contract, you know, you have this story, and you can share this story with those people that you're sharing that bottle of wine with, and it means so much more then oh yeah that's a 99 i mean that, that that's my opinion and other people think differently but that's just that's how i feel what's the reception been like from the industry as you as you have gone out and and, and written about them and you've become more of a known presence in the industry what has their reception been to you and, and what you've written or what you've what you've done i guess in the industry um i, I try my best to stay under the radar as much as i can <laughs> Sorry to bring you out into the, it's into okay. the forefront. It's, it's okay. It's okay. But even um, the people that know that I'm coming out, um, it's been open arms, right? Um, they'll go above and beyond to, to do everything possible. Um, early this early this past summer, I went out to Van Duzer, you know, uh, not Corridor, Van Duzer Vineyards, and... I, I mean, I was just kind of blown away by how over the top they went. Um, uh, Drew Voigt and the assistant uh, winemaker, you know, were sitting there at the table, like, ask away, any questions, charcuterie board, you know, wine. I'm like, this is over the top. This is, this is crazy, right? Then after that, we went out into the barrel room, you know, and, you know, sampled some barrels. After that, uh, Bruce, the... The vineyard manager, you know, took me out in the little John Deere and we're just going through the vines and, you know, I, I don't, I really appreciate that and that's amazing and it makes for an amazing story and it makes for an amazing experience for myself. Oh, uh, but just, there's no need for me, there's no need to go over the top. Just like, just be your true self, be authentic and uh, because as a consumer going out to like Van Duzer Vineyards, more than likely Bruce isn't going to take you around in the John Deere to give you a vineyard tour. I mean, maybe they do that, but I, you know, very rarely will that happen, right? So it's, uh, it's the purpose, it's the why of why they're there. Mm -hmm. And that's just, again, trying to bring the, the consumer closer to the, to the wine and to the label is... Mm -hmm. Is a, is a good thing. So with the people you've met and the stories you've written and some of the experiences you've had, are there, are there sort of commonalities or similarities among 
people making wine in Oregon or people involved in the process of Oregon? Are there sort of through lines that you found that sort of tie people together? Um, or are you getting a whole lot of sort of unique but not similar experiences as you go out into and, and be a consumer? Uh, well, obviously there's, there's the love of wine, right? Everybody, you know, loves wine. Um, you know, I had, I had never really thought about, you know, any similarities or, or anything of that nature. So I'm kind of mm -hmm. just, just thinking about it a little bit. Uh, is, there, is there a certain kind of personality type or a certain kind of, uh, anything like that, that kind of strikes you that you see a lot of in the industry? I don't, you know, nothing like flashes out, right? I think of Andrew at uh, Audeant. I mean, he likes to talk a lot with his hands. He loves to go into stories, um, you know, and I had, uh, I was very lucky over the summer to sit down with uh, Mikey at Beaufrere and they're almost like two polar opposites you know, but, you know, there's so much uh, more time in the industry, uh, you know, so that's not a good example. Mm -hmm. uh, but, like, you take Brian Melora here at Hazelfern. Uh, they will do just about anything, you know, that's within the realm of possibilities to, to accommodate you. So maybe, maybe there, there's, your, there's your similarity right there is... Uh, I reached, you know, for, like for this interview. Um, yes, I could have, you know, we could have met in Tualatin, and I was just trying to, you know, be accommodating to you, so it wasn't such a long drive. But then, like, reaching out to Laura, you know, I'm like, I kind of felt bad. I'm like, I have a small favor. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, come on. You know, and, every, you know, if it's a possibility, everybody that I've seen out here in the wine community will do whatever they can to help. So I know you've obviously written at length about your experiences and I've read many of those over the years. I'm curious, as you look back, what are some of the sort of stories or experiences that stick with you the most, the ones you think about more often than others? Are there certain moments or certain experiences you've had that sort of stand out? There's, oh, yes. And I'm sure if I was to think of different ones, I could come up with different ones, but like immediately, uh, last October, I went out uh, when Abbott Claim was just starting. Uh, I can't, it was, you know, one-on-one -on -one with Andrew there at Abbott Claim. Um, you know, and I was just kind of expecting a normal little uh, tasting. And we met in like a little conference room you know, we had a little bite, you know, there to eat and, you know, was tasting a couple wines. And I, you know, when I go out uh, for a visit, you know, I have a little journal that I'm constantly taking notes on. Uh, and then after we finished, I think the, the second wine, he's like, come out this way, let me show you something. I'm like, okay. I leave my notebook on the table because I figured we're just going to come back, right? And have more wines. And so he, he shows me around the winery and then he you know, takes me down this underground tunnel, you know, where all the barrels are laid out. And it's like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then the little, you know, skylighted, you know, uh, wine cellar that's, that's there. And uh, then he lights candles. And then he rolls out this little cart. And then he creates this little caviar dish, pours a little bit of Chardonnay. And the lights are now dimmed and it's all candlelit. I'm like, what in the world? I mean, it just totally came out of left field. I wasn't expecting it at all. And those experiences, I mean, those stay with you for a lifetime. Uh, and the, the work that Andrew is doing there at Abbott Plain, I mean, he kind of has carte blanche access, not access, but permission to kind of do what he wants, whatever he wants to do in the hospitality range. And he is just kicking it out of the ballpark. Uh, you know, but on a totally like polar opposite side of that, uh, again, I think it was last October, I went out and visited Janice at Arlen. 
Uh, she didn't have any other customers at the time. And we're sitting across from the picnic table, you know, tasting through the wines and just having a conversation like we've known each other for five or ten years. That is, that just, that was mind-blowing mm -hmm. as well. You mentioned earlier you have a kind of a backlog of places you want to visit, stories you want to tell. Are there, are there certain stories within the industry that you're excited to tell, something you, have, something you haven't written about yet that you're excited to talk about that you haven't gotten to yet? Um, yes. And in spe uh, specifically, um, uh, I've talked with uh, Renee and Grant at 100 Sons about the, I'm always mispronounced this, i got to work on it, the Bednarak Vineyard. Mm -hmm. There seems to be such a history about that vineyard. Um, uh, over this past July, Renee showed me some pictures. I think it was William Bednarak. You know who has passed away and has pictures of him and she has stories about him and just have this vineyard out in the middle of Cherry Grove and to hear Grant talk about um, him just kind of going into the vineyard and being wild by it right it just speaks volumes uh, and and the wines there are, are amazing as well uh, but that's a story that I want to tell of just just the vineyard and the people you know that brought that vineyard up so that that's i just got to reach out to renee and be like okay let's do this i just haven't done it yet so i brought down a little bit here talk about the industry but more in general we've obviously talked about this a bit before but in the time you've been sort of following Oregon wine, especially been sort of deeply involved in Oregon wine, what are what are the the sort of the changes you've seen in the industry? What's what's different now versus when you were kind of first paying attention to the Oregon wine? Well, the the biggest thing, and I don't think this has anything to do with Oregon in general. It just has to do with with COVID, right? Is everybody is on a reservation system? Uh, and there's, there's pros and cons, but I, I just kind of miss the ability to like not have to plan like where I'm going to go. And now, uh, you know, reservation systems either or uh, reservations are like taken up, right? So I need to think like two or three weeks in advance. Where am I going to go? I don't know. You got to do this, right? Uh, that's the biggest change that I've seen, you know, here recently. Um, you know, there are, you know, with the uh, acquisition that uh, Ponzi went through, uh, Carlton Winemaker Studio, um, Bledsoe Family Winery, you know, take, uh, buying Mimi Castell's vineyard, uh, you know, the TJ McConnell, you know, acquisition of, not TJ, CJ. McConnell, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, buying, you know, a vineyard and bringing that up, you know, Channing being, you know, a great voice for Oregon wine as well. Uh, Oregon is, Oregon wine in general is getting this big boy pants on and it's, you know, I think it's really starting to, you know, people are starting to take notice of what Oregon is. And it's, it's fascinating, right? We're getting out of this one-dimensional Oregon Pinot land, right? Chardonnay is really starting to kind of take hold. Uh, seeing the plethora over the summer of sparkling that has come out. I mean, I, I you know, during my sparkling report over the summer, right, I tasted like 40 different sparklings. And there were others that were left off the table. And I just saw an email today that Erath announced their first bottle of sparkling. So it's absolutely amazing to see the multi-dimensions of the Oregon wine industry start to take hold. Mm -hmm. There is, there's a lot that's going to, to happen and I'm very excited to see what it is. Well, before we talk about the future, I'm curious, um, with, with how the industry has changed, uh, is it still, in terms of the sort of the familiarity you mentioned earlier and the sort of um, collegiality, do you still see that in the industry or has that changed as well? I still think, from what I can tell, right, 
So I, I think it's all about taking chunks of time, right? If you were to take a chunk of time, you know, from like the, say the 70s and 80s, the wine community is probably different than what it is today. Uh, but do I still think that people, you know, thoroughly help out one another in the community within itself? Yes. Uh, when I spoke with Dan and Jean at Corollary, uh, you know, the, the people at Winter's Hill, uh, Lytle Barnett, uh, Michael Lundeen, you know, that there, there's a whole group of sparkling, you know, producers that are helping out one another. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's still a very, like, tight-knit, you know, family. It may not be as tight-knit as, like, you know, 50 winemakers having parties on Friday nights, you know, back in the 70s, but it's still tight-knit. They'd be honored if you thought there were 50 of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe there were some friends and families coming over, too, right? Well, let's talk about the future then of the industry a little bit. Uh, obviously, you mentioned COVID. Uh, actually, let's, before we get to the future, let's talk about 2020, first of all, mentioning, right. mentioning COVID. And, and, and so last year was obviously a tough year for the industry. So I'm curious, from your perspective, um, between the pandemic, between Harvest 2020 and the, and the smoke and the fires, tell me what sort of what you saw the industry looking like last year and, and how 2021 has gone so far, kind of uh, coming off the heels of that. Right. Um. 2020 was just, well, I mean, everybody knows what a cluster 2020 was, right? It was, it was just a cluster. I'm glad for the most part, it's kind of in the rear view mirror. Um, I still went out. I, I think I visited like 42 or 43 wineries, you know, during 2020. There were many times I'm sitting outside, you know, with multiple layers on, just my teeth are chattering and whatnot. But, uh a lot of people or a lot of wineries uh, barely made it through, you know, all the COVID restrictions. And I'm glad to see that, you know, for primarily that, you know, everybody came through that without any issues. Um, but now we're, you know, we're starting to, you know, within the next year, starting to like come to the realization of the 2020 fires. Um, there are many producers that aren't going to have a 2020 wine. Uh, there are some that were very fortunate to pick grapes before the fires, right? And then, you know, other people, you know, have worked some magic, you know, with their wines. Uh, but really, I, I, I just, I want 2020 to be completely gone. Uh, and I, I hope though, um, the people that didn't do a 2020 vintage, right? It doesn't hurt them mm -hmm. too much. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like Walter Scott there, I think they, they, they do have some 2020s, right? But they're, uh, I'm not going to, I, I, I'm, I don't know this completely off the top of, my, top of my head, but I think that they won't, you know, like for their Wolfpack membership, right? There's going to be, you know, they just don't have any wine to give out. And that's going to be, that's going to hurt them. I mean, it's going to suck. Uh, so to see the contrast of 2020 to 2021, uh, everybody is just so happy with 2021. It's, uh, yes, we had the heat dome and yes, we had some heat spikes. But as a general consensus, pretty much everybody came out unscathed, right? We had the heat, but then as autumn and fall came into uh, into fruition, we had those cool nights, right? So where the acidity and the grape was actually able to like make its magic and uh, everybody is loving the fruit, which I'm, I'm just thrilled, oh, just so thrilled. I, when I uh, sat down with uh, Drew Voigt toward the end of the summer, right, right before harvest, I, uh, I was like, you know, I'm so glad that there weren't any fires and you're like tell me about it <laughs> right it's just it, it's it's a huge sigh of relief 
Well, now let's talk about the future a little bit for the industry. And uh, as you mentioned, kind of 2020 in the rearview mirror, obviously in some ways, still still that kind of missing vintage lingering over for a lot of people. Um, and obviously the, the, the pandemic still lingering on as well, although although lessened. Tell me about what the Oregon wine industry, what's 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 next for the Oregon wine industry? What, what do you see uh, coming for the industry? What do you maybe, are you hoping for? And maybe what are you fearful of happening to the industry? Um, there's going to be a lot of growth, a lot of growth. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's like the, the Bledsoe family winery, you know, they're going to be expanding, uh, you know, they have Walla Walla, they have Bend and, you know, Willamette Valley, uh, you have Willamette Valley vineyards, you know, they're, wow, that, I mean, that's just going to be a, in many respects, it's going to be amazing to see. Uh, just to see how that kind of changes everything, uh, what they you know what they end up bringing to the table, uh, and I know that's going to bring more uh, more limousines down, you know, down our country roads. A lot of people will be like, I don't like that, but if we take all that off, if we take like the limousines off the table, right? Uh, the spirit of the Oregon wine community is everybody kind of uplifts one another and bringing more attention you know it's yes there's already a lot of competition but it's also going to cause other people to like we need to up our game a little bit more mm-hmm. and I think as a region I think it's going to be even better uh, because everybody will push one another to to produce amazing Chardonnay or you know Shannon Blanc or you know bring a Tempranillo or you know so we have these multi uh, multi dimensions that are within the industry um, you know there will it's it's not going to be a hundred percent positive with all the growth and you know people will see like the Willamette Valley Vineyard you know clubhouse whatever they're going to call it off in 99 and be like oh the Oregon wine community has lost itself and that is just like one perspective that's one viewpoint but will there still be the Bryans and the Laura's of Hazelfern that will still be here fingers crossed they will be I'm pretty sure they will be but you're still going to have that down home feeling of wine country, Oregon wine country. It's just going to take a little bit harder. Uh, it's, it's just going to be more work to, to find those uh, wineries. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really kind of where I feel I, that's kind of my mission is to bring those voices out and to let everybody know about, uh, about the little gemstones that are out here in Oregon wine country. You mentioned varietal, we talked about varietals quite a bit. Obviously, Pinot has been king for a long time here, but as you mentioned, Chardonnay, sparkling, other things uh, starting to kind of take, take their rise. So tell me about, uh, in the valley especially, in the next 10 years or so, what do you see in terms of sort of varietals, not necessarily specific varietals, what do you right. see in terms of the diversification of varietals here? Um. If we were to take climate change completely out of that equation, I think varietals probably wouldn't change a whole lot, right? There will be definitely some experimentation, but with you, you can't take climate change out of the picture. You just can't. Um, so it will be interesting to see, you know, just like what happens to Pinot, right, at you know five or six hundred feet of elevation or two hundred feet of elevation. Uh, like I know that Audeant, they have a vineyard up on Parrot Mountain at like 1,100 feet elevation. I'm like, yay, thank you. <laughs> uh, so down here, it's, um, and I think Chris was talking about this in, in his interview or interview somewhere, right? I think, you know, we're going to start seeing more varietals, you know, that we might see in, in Southern Oregon. 
right? It's, uh, you know, so we'll get some more Rhone varietals up here. Maybe we'll get some Cap Franc. Maybe we'll get some Grenache. Maybe we'll get some, you know, just, just whatever. So a lot more experimentation. And again, I think it, it will help the diversification, you know, of Oregon wine country to be more than just a one-dimensional Wine, wine region because uh, I mean, the wine world is huge. So you talked a bit about your about your twenty twenty specifically last oh, last year. Uh, you talked about you know still visiting, still doing kind of doing the work you wanted to do, and and even if it meant being outside in the cold, I, <laughs> I, I I feel that pain. We did some very cold interviews last winter. Yes. Um, tell me about uh, again, come sort of coming out of twenty twenty. Uh, beyond just the wine world sort of impact on you personally and and how 2021 has gone for you so far uh you know it's it's strange uh, my full-time job you know is in tech i was 100 percent remote even before that the shutdown uh i feel it didn't really affect me a whole bunch uh, i tend to be a homebody and so, you know, being able to go out to wine country, do my little interviews, you know, do my work, get out on my bike, you know, and just, you know, bike ride through wine country. It was, it was pretty good. I, I did ever, everything that I could to keep everything normal. I enjoyed um, getting food from local restaurants, you know, and bringing it home to cook or, or whatever to like oh it's friday night let's go get this special you know special recipe to to cook up or mm -hmm. um it was really you know in that regard it was really good i also have have a daughter so it was uh interesting to say the least to uh have 100 percent remote school but i think i will look back on 2020 and especially with her and have the ability to say Every day, we sat down, had breakfast together. It wasn't rushed. The same thing at lunch, mm -hmm. right? And I feel that our bond just grew and grew and grew over that time. And, you know, for all the crap that 2020 was, yes, it was crap, but family is hugely important. And to be able to like slow down, take it easy, and grow, I, it was amazing. Um, so I think the other part of your question was sort of sort of this year. How has this year gone, and, and what and what and what kind of things have you been working have you been working on with a bit more freedom? Uh, it's been kind of about the same. I will say, you know having more traffic on the roads, I had a little bit more anxiety. <laughs> I'm like, no, I liked it when nobody was on the road. Uh, but, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I was able to work on, you know, the, the sparkling report and actually, you know, talk to some, you know, to some people. Uh, there was a period of time where we didn't have masks on at all, uh, which was amazing. Uh, but I... I think it's kind of of a mindset. Like I, I felt like I had zero hurdles last year. Or it, wait, there were hurdles, but I don't allow hurdles to like stop me. I'm like, what do I got to do to overcome it? What do I got to do? And I just keep pushing forward and making things happen. Um, and I think you know, in going forward, in some of the things that I you know that I do want to do is. I think I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I want to start a podcast mm -hmm. and I want it to be a one-on-one -on -one, face to face podcast. And instead of it just being my voice in the newsletter, right? I want the person listening and you know, I'm going to do the video side of it as well to see the people behind, you know, the, the label, right? And the people behind the label being like the winemaker, the hospitality, vineyard workers, everybody, right? And just create more of that connection. And it's just, again, I think it's a, just more of a me going down the rabbit hole of bringing 
as many connections together as possible. Anything else that you're kind of working on or, or, or thinking about working on uh, now or in the, in the near future? What's kind of what's next for you? Um, so I, I worked with a PR person, uh, Carl, and I, I'm going to mispronounce his last name again. I'm sorry, Carl. Carl Giovanni? Yes. And he, uh, he posed a question to me. He was like, your last name, what does it translate to? I'm like, I don't know. So I looked it up, and it is wine note. <laughs> and I was just, when I looked it up, my jaw just hit the floor. And so I, I'm slowly kind of like rebranding everything to bring it under a wine note umbrella. And right now I'm asking myself the question, what is a wine note, right? You have tasting notes, but what is a wine note? And really, when I look at it, it is a story, right? When growing up, um, I was huge. I loved Paul Harvey's stories. And really what I want to do is find a way uh, sustainably to create wine notes for wineries, mm -hmm. right? I want to be able to share the experience. I want to be able to share uh, just everything that I can possibly share in a story type fashion. Mm -hmm. An awesome task, but a, da a daunting one. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, you know, I, I came, you know, talking about being in tech. Over time, I've seen tech become less and less personable, right? It just has gotten to the point of like, yes, just you're a code monkey, right off the code. Oh, we're behind schedule. Oh, no. Work harder. Oh, no, we have defects. Work harder. And I think that is what's really drawn me to like, bring out these stories because yes we have mass producers but there's stories that are there behind the mass producers uh, when I was in Del Rio in southern Oregon over the summer you know I got to actually you know meet the head winemaker right uh, and he has an amazing sparkling and that it was just bringing out those stories, right? I mean, and that's just, that just brings me joy. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I was going with that, but that's just, yeah. Well, it, it makes sense the way you talk about it, kind of being sort of, uh, if, 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 if that's something becoming kind of less personable, you're, you're kind of seeking out the kind of personal touch in, in the world and trying to kind of include other people in it. I mean, that makes sense. I, I, right. I see where you're going with that. Yeah. Um, on that note, uh, if someone else were to want to kind of do what you've done and, and learn wine the way you've learned, uh, what would your advice would you have for someone who's kind of jumping into the Oregon wine industry? Advice? Uh, just, uh, um, I'm trying to think of a name right now and I can't think of, of her name, but the hospitality person at Langlo. Um, yeah, I can't think of her either. Izzy. Uh, I asked her one time, I'm like, how come you don't have your, your WSET certification? And she's like, I don't want to. I want wine to stay fun for me. And so any advice that I would have is have fun, right? I mean, yes, it's really easy to go out and visit the wineries and have fun, uh, but think outside of the box, right? You start hearing, you know, kind of the same things over and over and over again. How many cases did you produce? What's the new French oak? You know, what is the neutral barrel? How long was it neutral barrel? And it's, there, there's more of a story than besides number of cases, the clones, the barrels, the, the soil. I mean, yes, that all kind of plays a part, 
but look at the bigger, bigger picture, right? It's, it's have fun, enjoy it, and don't get hunkered down in so much of the nitty little gritty details because, and I'm, I'm, yes, get, you, yes, details, but like still the, the bigger picture, right? There, there's, there's so much fun things to look at and write about um, and enjoy. Uh, just don't make it a cookie cutter process. All right. So the questions that I have for you, anything I didn't ask that I should have, anything we didn't cover here that we should have covered? Uh, not that I can think of. This has been amazing. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. And for us too, is thank you so much for your time. And, and thank you so much to Brian and Laura from Hazelfern for allowing us to use their space today. This is very generous. We do appreciate it. Yes. Um, thank you so much for your time, for your stories. And uh, I'm going to let you off the hook. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.